Good morning, everyone. This morning, we're continuing in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're dealing with verses 25 through 30. And today, we'll be dealing with things that have, over the centuries, and always can and will, divide Christians from each other, and that's something we do not want to happen. And so what we're trying to do is understand what God's ordained, what's forbidden, what's allowed, and how we interact with one another and then be witnesses to the lost world around us. So let's pray and then we'll, we'll begin with the text. Thank you, dear Lord, for allowing us the blessed privilege of coming before you with one another to look into your word, to learn, and to be changed by your grace more and more into the image of your son Jesus. And may we take to heart what you have said and what you say in your word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, okay going to verse 25. Now I want to tell you ahead of time that the passages we're covering have had a lot of questions over the entirety of church history because there are things that will come up that have some uncertainties just due to the vagaries of some of the interaction between Paul and the Corinthians. So I will do my best to fill that in and lay out what the possibilities are. I'll cite from more scholars than I normally do and because I think I found some good answers that way. So I'm just warning you ahead of time. 1 Corinthians 10, 25 26, citing from the Christian Standard Bible, eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience, since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it. So Paul cites Psalm 24, 1, in order to uh, affirm his exhortation here. Eat whatever's in the meat market. Now we know from previous passages in First Corinthians that there was a big issue because the pagan temples that were many in Corinth had animal sacrifices. And previously we learned that we're not to participate in those uh, meals that are dedicated to foreign deities to which the sacrifices were made. Now, we're, we're going to a, a related topic, which is what they don't use in their pagan sacrifices end up in the meat market. But it's not necessarily marked, hey, this was for Zeus, or this was for Hellcate, or this, whatever, Dionysus, whatever their deity was, it's just meat. So now we're taking one step away from that, and Paul is pointing out that in Reality, according to a biblical worldview, all of the earth is the Lord's. And he, in creation, provided what we need to live on the earth. He provided it for humankind. So I have some notes I made on this. Paul is telling the Corinthians not to conduct investigations into where the meat came from. Now, under the Old 
covenant, Jews would have to do so. Um, but as Christians, that's not something to be done, whether they be Jew or Gentile. The Lord is the King of glory of Psalm 24 and has provided his creation for our blessing and benefit. Let me cite Psalm 24. <clears throat> the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. And to that we say, Amen. The end of Psalm 24 is one that you probably know. Uh, Open the gates that the King of glory may come in. So the King of glory, dear ones, has provided for us the benefits of his creation, fallen as it is, that we may eat and live on the face of the earth and live out our lives and as we trust him, do so to his glory. I thought Dr. Thistleton had some great points about how Paul is using Psalm 24. He says the quotation of Psalm 24, 1, performs three functions. One, it lifts attention from self and from over-scrupulous anxiety to the reminder that the sovereign to whom everything belongs says this, including the care of the believer, is the Lord. Two, reminds the anxious that even what may or may not have passed through the pagan temples still belongs to the totality of God's creation over which he, not the so-called gods of 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 6, reigns as sovereign. He continues, this verse may be compared with Mark seven nineteen. He quotes it from the Greek, the phrase which says, all, eat all, he declared all foods clean, but it basically says, all foods clean, in the Greek, the last phrase. I'll quote that in a bit. Three, says Thistleton, most especially, it implies that every good gift of God is to be accepted with gratitude at the Lord's, as the Lord's gift. Nothing exists that's not lent or given by the Lord. And so we're going to see today that the key is to have a biblical worldview that sees all things given as a gift from the Lord, and it's to be received with gratitude, and we're going to go some places that may make us uncomfortable, but we have to deal with the text, we need to partake in such a way of gratitude that we don't end up dividing one Christian from another Christian. And we don't end up uh, with people uh, with anxiety who are in a different state in their heart and mind as others that don't have any concerns whatsoever. We have to deal with that. Now to Mark 719. This is important. Mark 719. It was alluded to by Thistleton. It talks about food. For it doesn't go in, into his heart, but into his stomach is eliminated. But look at it in the parentheses here. Mark 719. This is Jesus' statement. Thus, he declared all foods clean. Who declared all foods clean? Jesus. Now, there was a council in Acts 
in Acts 15 in Jerusalem where they went over this again. Because when Gentiles were saved, they came into the congregations with a whole different set of beliefs about food than would have been true amongst the Jews who believed in the the food laws of the Mosaic Covenant. Those problems still go on. I'm going to tell you a story here. It'll come back a little later toward the end when I make some applications. Some decades ago, a man came to a fellowship I was a part of, and, and he said to me, I keep the Jewish kosher food laws. And I said, why do you do that? He says, because it's healthy. I do this because it's healthy. I, he said, I figure God ordained it, it must be healthy. And I said, okay, um, I see a flaw in your logic. What's that? Well, if Moses gave certain food laws that are healthy, why did Jesus cancel them? Did Moses make us healthy so Jesus could make us unhealthy? And he said, I never thought of that. I never thought of that. And eventually he relaxed his uh, concern about that. Um, The point of the food laws under Moses was to keep them separate. Not saying that it was an unhealthy diet, but to keep them separate so that the promised lineage for Messiah would go forward. Mark 7.19 says that we don't need foods now to keep us separate from the world. We certainly don't need foods to keep us separate from one another because we've been saved out of the world. We'll get to more of that. Let's go to verse 27. Here's a possible scenario that comes up, and there's some questions that we can't answer all of them, but I'll read it to you. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. If any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, eat everything that's said before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Now, um, this would be different from the Old Testament rules. This shows that the New Covenant is different from the Old Covenant. You couldn't say that under the Old Covenant. Let me prove that to you. Exodus 34, 15. I'll read it to you. Exodus 34, 15. It says here, Do not make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land, or else they prostitute themselves with their gods and sacrifices to their gods. They will invite you, and you will eat their sacrifice. So we're told not to do it if you're an old covenant person under Moses. Don't go over and eat with the unbelievers. You'll end up defiled. That uh, is not what Paul is saying here. The point of the gospel and the Great Commission is that we will go out into the world with the truth of the gospel because the world and all of its inhabitants is the arena from which God saves the lost. And so that's the difference. And this is grappled with throughout the book of Acts, including the council they had in Acts chapter 15. We need to be able to fellowship with one another freely 
And then as we go to an unbeliever's house, to be able to interact in such a way as to not raise offenses that are not necessary and be able to stand for the truth of the gospel. Now, there's a word here, raising questions, and the Greek is anakrino, which would mean examine or evaluate. Actually, raising questions is a good uh, uh, translation, anakrino. So you go over to the unbeliever's house, you go, all right, where did that come from? Where did you get that? What's this all about? And so Paul says, don't do that. He does not teach. We don't. Christianity, and I put it in here, is not cloistered isolationism. Christians get get all the same ideas and have all the same mores and social customs get rather eccentric and all get together and stay with each other and don't let anybody else in. That's not biblical. We're in the world, but not of the world. And we're here to bring the good news of Jesus Christ, not to create rules and eccentricities that make it impossible to interact with anyone. Now, the next verse will deal with something else, but let me again make a couple points here, one from a scholar and one from me. I think I'm a scholar, but I'll let somebody else judge that. Gardner says, quote, the view taken here is that Paul means that this food can be eaten, but not, must not become a matter linked to proving or addressing a person's community status or self-awareness. So basically, what some have said, and I'm agreeing with that, as I did a lot of study on this, conscience here, sunodasis typically means just the word conscience, but in this context, likely means self-awareness. And I'll try to show how that's probably right. Especially when it comes to one Christian in the presence of another, the knowledgeable versus the ones that are lacking knowledge, or the strong versus the weak, however you shake that out. Self-awareness means, am I doing something that is jeopardizing my status before God by eating with this unbeliever? That would be a self-awareness use of the word conscience. I'm going to make a statement here that I wrote in my notes. I believe that Gardner is correct in seeing conscience in this Context is implying self-awareness, which would lead to fears or judgments about one's status vis-a-vis others in the church. What if people in the church know I went over and ate with this unbeliever, and I ate what they put out, and I didn't figure out where they got it? Okay? Those recently saved from pagan temple religions would easily fear they are possibly being defiled. The knowledgeable strong thought they could actually go to the pagan meals in the temple. Of course, we've seen that's wrong. This is sinful. But what about the weak who would never do such a thing and are now shaky in their own self-confidence 
eating at an unbeliever's house or maybe with another Christian who's there, where am I at? Is this good? Is this bad? And so our minds are on everything but the gospel and our confidence before God. And so there are some things that are very important, and we'll look at that today as we keep going on. Let's go to verse 28. Now, you get to the meal, someone invites you, and here's what happens. 1 Corinthians 10, 28. But if someone says to you, this is food from a sacrifice, do not eat it, out of consideration for the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. There's our word again. Now, this verse leaves a lot of things that we're going to have to guess at. It's considered difficult. All the commentators say it's difficult and because there are things we don't know. It's not clear the status of someone. Who is the someone? A Christian or a non-Christian? doesn't say. It's not clear whose conscience is it in view. The one attending, someone else's who might be there, that's not totally sure. Is there more than one Christian there? Maybe there's... Three unbelievers and one Christian, or three unbelievers and two Christians. But the context would say this. You don't want to willingly eat in the presence of the pagan sacrifice. Or someone says, this is dedicated to a pagan god. Let's eat. You won't do it. You can't do it. Because... Christians eat with gratitude to the Lord who provided. If nothing is said other than here's food, let's eat, then you're not forbidden. But if this is dedicated to Zeus or whoever they had, Aphrodite, whoever, Hellcate, they had all kinds of gods. They were very open-minded. Of course, none of those gods were really deity. They were all lesser beings if they had any true existence. But we don't want to uh, be pagans and eat in this way. Okay, let me give you another citation here. So, Gardner, most food would have been sourced in sacrificial context. All participants at any meal would have surely known this. The statement to which Paul refers must be more than simply announcing where the food came from. The information, and I'm agreeing with him, must have been given for the purpose that Paul clearly shows is related to self-awareness. Consistently, it is with the strong that Paul has taken issue in this matter. Gardner continues, Therefore, it seems likely that here Paul is telling believers that even though this is not a religious context, if the eating is suddenly given religious significance... They should not eat. If a strong person makes a point of this eating as if to say, look at this. This is us exercising our knowledge, demonstrating our community status and security. Then Paul says that food should not be eaten. Look at me. I'll go in there. I'll go in with the pagan. And even if they say a sacrifice to Zeus, what do I care? I'm eating it. Paul is saying, if if we're getting this right, that that could jeopardize, 
if there's another Christian, a weak conscience. And therefore would be harming a fellow believer. I'm going to claim today in the sermon that we're introducing something that will be the topic of chapter 11, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. And that is the one another's. Okay? How do Christians treat and function with one another in the body of Christ and in the world in such a way that we bring glory to God and give no offense to Jew nor Greek nor the church of God, which we'll get to the next time I preach. Do not eat is in the imperative in the Greek. The ethical issue, the welfare of the other person. Self-awareness in the welfare of the brothers and sisters in Christ. That has to be important to us. Let's go to verse 29. 1 Corinthians 10, 29. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? I'm going to unpack this. Hang in there. Um, What's that all about? One of the things that has to be determined when we go here and into verse 30, Paul goes to the first person singular, I. Is Paul talking about himself or what is that all about? I believe that this is simply a means of logical argumentation where Paul inserts himself in the place of just about anybody who would be in that position. And uh, I here is used that way in some of his arguments in Romans. This would apply to anyone. And we do that. We're having an argument with someone say, well, I would, I, blah, blah, blah. We're talking about in general anybody in that situation. So as I point out here, and I have a, a line in the slide on that, the main thrust from chapters 8 through 10 is that the well-being of others has priority. With uh, sexual immorality, the meat sacrificed to idols, how you take care of one another, and so on. The key truth in these chapters is love builds up. 1 Corinthians 8.1, I'll read it to you. Now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that, quote, we all have knowledge. By the way, it's one of their slogans. Then he says, Corinthians slogans, knowledge builds up, puffs up, but love builds up. That's a great statement. Knowledge puffs up. Look at me. I have knowledge. Love builds up. Love has another thought than what my knowledge is. Love has the thought, what's going to benefit the body of Christ? What's going to benefit the other person? What's going to help the weaker brother and sister who's struggling? That sort of love is what he means, builds up. So I think the self-awareness in this context is uh, a good translation of sunodesis, and I point that out on the slide here. And this form of argumentation where you use I, even though you're arguing in general, some have said it's called a diatribe. 
And uh, so the first person question would have a bigger application. Now, some others have pointed out that since the person pointed out to them that the food they were on the verge of purchasing or eating was idle food, they evidently expected the Christians' rejection of idolatry to require them to avoid such food. That was Camp on Rosner. So somebody saying, you better avoid this food. I think it came from the idol temple. So here's a person. Now what am I going to do? Here's the person who invited me. Here's another Christian. This is maybe idol food. So if the statements made at the meal, this is sacrifice to the idol, say, no thanks, I'm not going to do an idol sacrifice. That's how you handle that. But in a case where you can't eat, we'll go to the next slide. I promise I'm going to get to something really interesting. <laughs> I, I told you I'm not, I'm not going to skip any verses, so we're going to dig through these, but I'm going to go to Romans 14 in our applications, and I'll bring back that story I told about the one person who said that uh, the way to be healthy is to eat uh, kosher, and then Jesus declaring all foods clean. clean. I'll come back to that when Romans 14. 1 Corinthians 10.30, if I, here's that same argumentation, if I partake with thanksgiving, why am I criticized because of something for which I give thanks? And that is getting to the heart of the matter. Christians who know that the, the, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and that God has provided all things for us, and that whatever we have is a gift from God to be able to eat the food he provides on the earth and breathe his air and enjoy his blue sky and live on his planet that he created, God has been uh, pouring out benefit upon us. And Christians have to be thankful people. If we're not thankful, we don't understand creation. We don't understand God's mercy. We don't understand God's common grace. So Christians who receive food give thanks. Now, I've mentioned in sermons recently that a blessing involved with food is not blessing the food, it's blessing God the giver. Blessed be thou, O Lord, the creator of the heaven and of earth, who is giving all good things to us. We're blessing God. Not that he needs us to bless him, but that means to ascribe to God. To bless God is to ascribe his glorious attributes, his promises, and his mighty deeds. And that we do when we pray to him. Thank you, Lord, that you allowed me to partake of the food that you provided on the face of the earth. So Paul introduces a question. So is that tainted? Thank you, Lord, for the food. And then you go to eat and say, well, where did you buy it? Who packaged it? What about this? Did it pass through a temple in in their case there? So we start adding all these questions. And our thanksgiving is tainted by questions that would imply to the host, I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't trust this food that you put here in front of me. 
Maybe it's not good enough. Maybe something's really bad about it. So that is how it ends up in our day. So Dr. Thistleton has, again, some good points. Quote, in our view, either why or to what end provide equally acceptable translations. Why is the one I chose here. And we choose why only to pre- preserve the force of gar. Gar would be for. And so uh, that's how in the Greek it starts. For, if I partake with Thanksgiving, why? Paul, back to Thistleton. Paul's meaning on this basis would be, what would be the advantage of my exercising my freedom if I thereby, thereby suffer defamation of character? says Thistleton, if it generally does not matter whether I eat or not, why choose the path that raises unnecessary difficulties? What is the point of freedom if I cannot choose not to cause problems? I thought that was so. I had to quote that to you. All right, so here I am at a meal, different Ideas about where the food came from, different ideas about what you can eat, and I have to choose. If I eat, if I'm free, if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and I'm free and I'm eating, and I'm thanking God, thank you, Lord, you provided, and somebody's going to say, what are you eating and why are you eating it? Where did that come from? The freedom becomes mute. It's not real freedom. It's not real Thanksgiving. We talk about that in Romans 14. The word is interesting. Why am I criticized? The word criticized, you know what it is? Blasphemeo. So the word normally applied to blasphemy for blaspheming God. Why am I blasphemed? Well, I looked it up in the Bauer Danker, Art Gingrich, lexicon says, quote, in this context, to demean through speech, and when it's applied to humans in an honor shame society, quote, to speak in a disrespectful way that demeans, denigrates, maligns. Now, when we're having a meal, dear beloved, we don't want to demean, denigrate, or malign anyone. But what we do want to do is be grateful to God. That's uniquely something that we ought to do as Christians. The pagan deities provided us nothing because they didn't create the world. God did. Thanksgiving is the word charis, which is the word often translated grace, charis. So when we say, say grace, it's a good, good way to translate it. Bless you, Lord. Grace, charis. Thanksgiving, eucharisteo, where our English word eucharist comes from, but it's to give thanks. So I'm going to make a statement, and then we'll go to the next, uh, go to our applications. Here's the statement I put in my notes. In regard to food, If indeed Jesus declared all foods clean, then what good is the liberty we have in this matter if other Christians find a way to judge us based on what we eat? 
We will deal with this in an application, Romans 14. I already said that. Thank you, Lord. Where's my helmet? What are you eating? Why are you eating now? My brother Wayne, uh, something falls on the floor. Five-second rule, pick it up and eat it in five seconds. It's still okay. Anyhow, let's just move on. Uh, implications and applications. Believers may validly eat anything with Thanksgiving. Now, I'm not talking about cyanide. I mean, food. <laughs> okay, Believers may validly eat anything with Thanksgiving. How believers treat one another is of great importance. That is the heart of the matter. I promise you, that is the most important thing, and it's at the same time the most difficult. It is really difficult. And it may seem simple, but I promise you it's not as simple. But hopefully we can get some help in that matter. Let's go first to 1 Timothy 4, 4, and 5, which is refuting what Paul calls the doctrine of demons. 1 Timothy 4, 4, and 5. In fact, if you want to turn to 1 Timothy 4, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 3 first and then put this in context. On Timothy 4, I'll read 1 through 3, and then we'll go to 4 and 5. Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the hypocrisy of liars whose consciences are seared. 3, verse 3, they forbid marriage and demand abstinence from foods that God created to be received with gratitude by those who believe and know the truth. Notice in verse 3, foods God created to be received with gratitude. That's continually repeated. Received with gratitude. Received with gratitude for those who don't believe the truth. Now to verse 4, which we have on the slide. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. And holy in that context meaning set apart for God. Our fellowship meal is set apart for God, not by the content of the food, but by the act of eating and receiving with gratitude. The actual food itself isn't as important as the belief that causes us to have the fellowship meal and causes us to be grateful. It causes us to be humble before God and to look out for the well-being of one another and not ever cause needless offense. Now, notice it says everything created by God is good. That's an allusion to Genesis 1, 31a. I'll quote it to you. God saw all that he had made, and it was good indeed. God saw all that he had made, and it was good indeed. Now on these verses here, false teachers have a low view of creation. Both foods and marriage were ordained by God in the Genesis creation account. So their low view on marriage is wrong. And their 
uh, view of foods is wrong as well. And so some would create diets and restrictions and laws to produce some special status of a holy person that has nothing to do with how God makes a person holy. How God makes a person holy is through the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses sin. He died for all, once for all, the just for the unjust, in order to bring us to God. Praise God. Now, let me read a a verse. I want to preach the gospel to you here. I'm going to read a verse from the chapter before, 1 Timothy 3.16. In that context, 1 Timothy 3.16, we have this warning about doctrines of demons and false teachers. 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul says this, And most certainly, the mystery of godliness is great. Talking about Christ, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Isn't that a great statement? The word that introduces it is interestingly, it's uh, some translate confessionally. It's like a very succinct confession of our belief in Christ. Uh, I think it's homologumenos, confessionally, of our confession, great confession. And so the mystery of godliness here is the person and work of Christ. He was manifest in the flesh. What does that mean? It says in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observe his glory, the glory as the only, the one and only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 14. So the gospel is about the person and work of Christ. Jesus Christ, his glory from the Father, from all eternity, God exists. All things created were created by God, the triune God of the Bible. And according to John 1, Through the agency of the Son, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, all things are created. He became flesh. He came into our world through the virgin birth, predicted in Isaiah, the narration of which we see in Matthew and Luke, here in John. He, fully human and fully God, walked this earth, lived a sinless life. He did many mighty deeds that no one has before or since done, proving his deity. And of greatest import is the fact that he predicted his own death on the cross, burial, and resurrection. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. His blood was shed once for all to pay for all sins for all time for those who believe. When he was raised, he appeared to many witnesses, seen by angels. We see that in Luke. The empty tomb, they told the people who came, the women, he's not here, he is risen. Believed on in the world. The Great Commission sends us to all, to all 
ethnos, nations. Anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith alone, trusting him alone, not works, not being religious, not trying to be pious, but repenting, knowing that we've sinned and failed God, turning to him for forgiveness of sins. Those who trust him and believe him are forgiven, redeemed, and given the gift of eternal life. So that's the gospel. Today, trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. And how do you become a Christian? Corporately, the moment you're converted, whether you don't even know what a body of Christ looks like, you're grafted in. You're part of it. You're, you're placed on that rock, on the foundation. And uh, as soon as I know, as soon as I was a born-again Christian, I met some, and I realized what they were talking about all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, and they received me openly, even though I was an enemy just before that. Now, we're going to go to Romans 14, as I promised. Now, I want to make a statement here. The fall did not imply that food was no good and um, there should be some sort of abstinence. That's what the false teachers are saying. But that everything was made good for us by the word of God and prayer. So whatever's edible for humans can be made good and useful by the word of God and prayer. That's the simple way they talk about it here. I'm going to show you more. I can't tell you how we've complicated this. It's almost impossible now. I'll, show you, I'll tell you why in a bit. Let's go to Romans 14. We're going to get started under one another's because Romans 11, 12, 13, 14 are about one another's. So I have a title here, Do Not Harm One Another. Romans 14, we're going there because it's really on the same topic. Very similar. Romans 14, 13 and 14. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. So there, again, brings to the fore what I was talking about earlier, translating sunodesis, conscious, as self-awareness. Someone may stumble. Someone may fear. Someone may feel out of place. Someone may not even be want, want to be around Christian fellowship because of something that would cause them to think it's hopeless that they'll ever be suitable to be a part of the family of God, despite the fact they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm saying we always want to avoid that outcome. And the thing that will unite any group that's Christian is the gospel, the fact that the Lord accepted us and that we have to accept one another without passing judgments on matters that are disputable. 
Decide is the word krino in the Greek to judge. And here it's a negated imperative. What does that mean? Don't do it. Don't pass judgment on one another. Uh, again, in the context of things that, given binding and loosing, forbidding and permitted, permitting, are not forbidden. Whatever is a matter of Christian liberty. Remember what Paul said. I give thanks and I partake with liberty. Why am I judged? Well, but you forgot something, Paul. You don't know where that food's been. It could have been here, there, or somewhere else, or whatever. We'll talk about that. He said, I don't think, Paul said, I'm convinced that nothing's unclean in itself. Unclean is koinos, common. So what is going on here? Think, logizomai, how you think, or your awareness of it. The stumbling block is to cause someone to violate their conscience and sin. Let me read Romans 14, 23. We won't be able to, we're not going to go that far today, so I want to read it and get it in our minds about where Paul's going. Romans 14, 23. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. Everything that's not from faith is sin. So, let's apply all this. We want to eat in faith. We want to eat in gratitude. We want to eat knowing that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, that he's given every good gift, and that if we receive his good gift, food, from his earth, we eat with gratitude, we're eating in faith, and we're eating in a way that's approved by God. But if something comes up so that you can't do that, and now there's doubts, there's finger pointing, there's questions, and you're afraid to go eat with the Christians. Shouldn't happen. Koinos, common, but nothing's common. Everything is uncommon that's provided for us. From God, because it's his gracious gift. Let's read on. Romans 14, 15, and 16. Now, here is a reason to limit personal freedom. One, excuse me, Romans 14, 15, and 16. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Now, this would apply back to the same case we just studied in 1 Corinthians. Someone just got saved out of the pagan idol temple. Brand new Christian. Used to go to the temple down the street. Big, prosperous temple. Temple prostitutes. Temple sacrifices, all this stuff, saved, got out of there, went over to this little home with some Christians getting together. And if someone were to say in some kind of a context, this is offered to the idol, I'm going back to First Corinthians, you're harming that brother. I just got delivered from these idol things. I don't want this. But if it's only what's provided by God, and we're grateful for it, we're thanking him for it, and we're eating together 
in gratitude that God takes care of us and lets us enjoy his good earth, this is not going to create the same problem. We're still walking in love. <clears throat> so what would be spoken of as evil here would be the Christian liberty. This liberty in eating is not objectively sinful. But it may be too much for some who are new to the faith. I just described such a possible scenario. The Acts 15 Jerusalem Council addressed such issues. It was really hard for them. The Jews had been keeping their food laws for, for many, many centuries, and now the Gentiles are saved, and they're showing up and eating what they're not supposed to. They had a whole council about that. Let's go on. We're getting, we got to the last verse. Now, this is the one we really, I think this is liberating. This gives me joy. This gives me hope. This is what we need if we're going to not harm one another. And that's why I chose it as an application. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. One scholar pointed out that it's rare that the kingdom of God is spoken of in the present tense in this way in the New Testament. Usually it's what will happen when the king comes. But this is present tense, and there's one other, 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. So what's the already? The not yet is the king returning. What's the already? The already is that we have been transferred out of the realm and domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, Colossians 1, 13, 14. And so I preached on that one a while back, the power of God to save lost sinners, but the kingdom of God as we walk it out is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this important? Let's think about it. Why say that? Why is that now? Because, dear ones, they'll be eating and drinking in the kingdom. We know that from the Lord's Supper. And the meals that we have for the Lord's Supper is reminding us of, us of the Last Supper and promising us the Merry Supper of the Lamb. It's a great thing. But we can tear each other apart over this by importing things that Paul wasn't even thinking about. In both verses, there's a contrast between what the kingdom is not, eating and drinking, or talk, and is, power, righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Spirit. Now, let me point forward to uh, Romans 14, 18, and quote that, and then I'll make a, what I hope is a very clear application. Romans 14, 18, next verse. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. All right, here's the application. What I believe is when I told that story about the man who said, follows the mosaic food laws to be healthy, and I said, well, then Jesus 
didn't declare all foods to be unhealthy, did he? You, you have a, this is not right. You can't say that. If you want to make it your liberty to eat that way, that's your business. But that's not what was the point. That was not the point. Here's what's happened. The idea of health has been imported to eating to the point where Christians often are in fear about eating with other Christians. I called our daughter Jessica yesterday because I know she's on the social media, which I'm not. And I asked, do Christians debate this sort of thing on social media? Oh, yes. So we started talking. And she said, here's what's going on. And, uh, you know, she's battling health problems. She said there's one site that she's part of where there's a group that prays for one another. And people have gone to, when they put a prayer request on there, putting a disclaimer, like you would on your door, no solicitation. Here's my prayer request. No, please, no food or health help. Don't tell me what I have to do to get healthy, according to you. I just want you to pray for me. Don't ask me when I ask you to pray for me. Well, did you eat nitrates? Did your food come from a processing plant? And pretty soon the Christian is shell-shocked. I don't dare ask for prayer. They're going to think I ate the wrong thing. And so when Jessica said that, she just, she was kind of tired when I called her, and she just came to life. She was excited about the topic. Because we shouldn't be afraid of one another, and we should give people grace to eat, to go to doctors, whatever they have to do. And the the complexities of food in our contemporary world, world are so beyond the possibility of finding out. There's nothing simple about it. So you go into the cupboard or wherever and there's a can and fine print. Do you take a magnifying glass? What's in here? What's the pro- you can't eat processed food. So my can of corn processed? I don't know. Got it in the can. Dear ones, this is a real problem. And Jessica told me this from her site that she goes to. No health advice, please. Pray for me. And um, there's too many things we don't know. Now, Paul isn't making such exclusions. Everything provided by God is good and to be received with thanksgiving. People have allergies? Yes, we've got to be concerned about that. So I'm proposing that we become mindful in a loving way of one another, that people have other scruples that others don't, all the same issues we have in 1 Corinthians we have. They're the knowledgeable and then the ordinary ones. I know what made you sick. No, you don't know that. I know. So the knowledgeable. Then you have the strong and the weak. The strong. I'll eat anything I want. I don't care what you think. Well, I guess that's sort of me. But that is the strong isn't a category of virtue, nor is the weak a category of something bad. It's just two different ways Christians are. In a loving 
situation that's Christian, we care for one another and we don't pass judgment on other people's desire of what they eat or don't eat. If they want to be scrupulous about it, and that's how they are, and that's how their conscience work, God bless, that's fine. If someone doesn't care, you don't want to get the Polish sausage. Sounds good to me. I'm not Polish, but I'm going to eat it anyhow. And they don't care. And everybody's different. Some people are worried about other things. And let me say something I guarantee you is true for the Bible. This is all temporal. When we get our glorified bodies, we'll eat. How do I know that? Jesus ate fish with the disciples after his resurrection. We're going to eat the Mary Supper of the Lamb. And we'll eat whatever God provides, and we're not going to get sick. I promise that. Now it's temporal. And if we spend our emotional energy battling over what's ate and what's not, I probably have conjugated that wrongly. Is that eaten? I don't know. We've spent all our energy on that. It's not helping people find fellowship. You walk into a church, well, do I have to know what to eat when I come here? No. You just have to give thanks to God for whatever he provided. Does that make sense? May God help us to uh, take the one another's and not harm anyone, but always support everyone, however they are, whoever they are, that they're welcome and loved and prayed for as part of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and kindness and mercy, for helping us see things that are difficult to understand. And, Lord, may we have, as we walk together in this world, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And thus the kingdom of God will be evident among us because of those things. And, Lord, uh, thank you for the body of Christ and for the prayers of the saints and to pray for the elders that they present to us uh, things we need to know about the congregation and our affairs. Thank you for all who serve. Thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Peace.